Hi, welcome to the Spaceship Earth Mission Log Podcast. Today, it's my honor to have Kurt McNamara from the Trim Tabs for Climate Mission. Kurt is well-known in the Buckminster Fuller community. He's known for his work studying Bucky and writing about Bucky and also his own unique take on unique geometries of tensegrity and life. And I'm very excited to be speaking with you today. Uh, so I guess to start off the conversation, I would uh, ask the question for those who don't know, very, I know everybody in the trim tab space camp on climate stabilization has heard the term trim tab, but what is a trim tab? All right. Why, thank you for asking. Um, so, I mean, we know of the idea of trim tab from Bucky Fuller. He was... You know, one of his big, I'll say, tools for change. And uh, he was liked it so much that it's the epitaph on his gravestone, call me trim tab. So what is a trim tab, as, as you ask? Well, it's something found in nature. So the, the feathers at the very ends of a bird's wings are trim tabs. If they move them just a little bit, the bird can move very quickly. And so it's an edge effect. And they've been used on uh, different uh, vessels, ships, if you will, for a long time. Uh, I found mention of them with respect to the early airplanes in the early 20th century. So they've been along, around for a long time. As Bucky described it, it's a rudder on a rudder. And so if we think of a big ship and... So if you think of a cruise ship, if you've seen one, or the Queen Mary back in the day was the big ship, it has a very big rudder, maybe the size of the house. And so it's really hard to move it. You can imagine, right? Even with power steering, it's going to be hard to move it. And so then the trim tab has a little rudder, a narrow piece on the edge of the rudder. And if you move this narrow piece, what happens is the water flowing across it produces what they call lower pressure. So, you know, the Part of the trim tab that's in the flow is compressing the water, so it's higher pressure. And then it just turns out, by physics, the other side is lower pressure. And so then the rudder is going to move towards that lower pressure area. So then the trim tab is a very effective way to, to move a bigger rudder and therefore move a ship. So Bucky loved that idea, right, that you could have an area where, with a minimum amount of force, you could have a maximum amount of effect. So he really liked it. And uh, he used that as a metaphor for many, many things. I would say that, you know, in a lot of ways, his use of trim tabs is metaphorical or metaphysical, I guess, in that he was trim tabbing people, right? And their concepts. He was enabling us to do more by emphasizing the power of the individual and giving us tools such as trim tab or creating a new model that allowed us really to do more with less. It was kind of a, you know, when you think about it, kind of a more or less kind of a thing, too. So there's a little bit about Trim Taps and how he got interested in them. Yeah. And tell me about your mission, Trim Taps for Climate. So what was your goal with the mission and how did that play out over the six to eight weeks of the space camp? Sure. Um, well, so what happened is that over time, I'd done a little work on Trim Tabs prior to the space camp. In fact, I wrote a piece uh, called, you know, trim tabbing a system versus creating a new model. And 
when you think about trim tabbing, what you're saying is we have an existing system, right? It's and it's a big system usually, and we want to change it. So how can we effectively change it? Yeah. Whereas, whereas creating a new model is like nope. Like Bucky said, you know, we can't fight the existing system, create a new model. So I wrote a little essay about it and I talked to different people, Leonard Gable from the Global Solutions Lab and Richard Ramsey from the Social Tensegrity kind of perspective to get their ideas on it. And I started, you know, noodling around with it and kind of expanding the idea. You heard a little bit of it, uh, but I was like, I was thinking about, well, really, it's kind of a lever. You know, what does a lever mean? How would you actually trim tab a ship? And it's like, well, you probably can't swim up and change the trim tab yourself. But somebody, you know, somebody somewhere has got, you know, you know, control the direction. But of course, they're just acting according to what somebody else said the goal was, et cetera. So then, you know, I was exploring this and just saying, well, how do we really think about it in a way that enables us to become more effective? And we know this kind of stuff, I think, almost unconsciously. But it seems useful to sort of unpack it. All right. So that was the background to me, sort of playing around with it and exploring it. And they did a couple of short videos and, uh, you know, trying to see if other people were interested in discussing it. And then the chance to do a mission came up and I thought, well, here we are. You know, what's our biggest issue nowadays? It's definitely climate. And here we have a space camp with people interested in climate. And so maybe we should just, you know, get together and do something. And I didn't know exactly what we would do, uh, but we shared uh, our insights and experience, uh, you know, with climate, things we had done in our lives, um, you know, things where we felt we'd been effective, and especially, and um, things where we maybe would want to do more. And we talked about you know, how could we sort of move this along? We were all doing some kind of trim tab work, it turned out. And the question was, you know, how could we take those individual insights and put them in a form that we could share them with a larger community? So that was the goal. And as with many missions, you know, we made some progress. We had great discussions and it remains open, uh, a project that is still interested in working on it. I'm still in contact with the people. And we're just figuring out what would work with them. And we're also open to new people joining to work on it. What were some of the trim tabs that people came up with for climate? All like, right. It's, I mean, that's one of the people, I think that's one of the places where often people feel lost as to how to make a difference. So I like that idea of leverage, using leverage. Um, <clears throat> what were some of those trim tabs? Sure. So, um, so Michael Pons uh, works, well, among other things, he does some landscape architecture in Southern California. And uh, so his take on it was, well, you know, I can be awfully effective in getting systems change to happen when there is some external environmental disturbance. So, for example, there is a drought and somebody's lawn is dying. That's a great time to be able to say, well, maybe you want a different kind of a lawn, right? Something that's more drought tolerant, that has less yeah. impact the environment, et cetera. And so then we discussed, gee, that reminds us of the pattern language idea. And that's something Christopher Alexander came up with in architecture. You know, what are the, you know, the better patterns in terms of creating what he called living buildings? It's been expanded widely. I mean, there's uh, one in particular or 
our audience might want to look at as the wise democracy pattern language. And there's pattern languages for transition towns. And the idea is that you document challenges or what sometimes they call contradictions or conflicts. And you say, well, you know, here's a thing that we run into again and again. And then it says, well, here's one solution, right, which is a quote unquote pattern, if you will. And then you make these, uh, I'll call them cards, you know, but there are ways to document the patterns. You make those available to the wider community for people to contribute to and critique and et cetera. And that's what Alexander started, I think, in the 1970s, and it's still very active today. And so Michael and I were like, well, maybe this is the start of a pattern language for that kind of stuff. And perhaps we, you know, work just from where you are uh, with landscape architecture and people making changes. And uh, that's, I think, a very effective way by, you know, just thinking about it. I think um, we, you know, in a way, you know, we're our own ships, right? We're our own, you know, factory of one or whatever. So we do have the ability to change our behavior and then you know, the ones closest to us. So that's not a bad place to start. That's fantastic. I love the idea that his trim tab had to do with his, where he was already in a position to exert leverage. And so somebody's got a problem, suddenly they're looking for an expert and suddenly he has the answer and the answer is a trim tab for climate. Mm -hmm. And that's huge. I'm also curious to hear more about this patterning language because that sounds like a really important concept. So you're saying that you're running running up against the same problem within a community. And so you start to outline what is that problem and what is it like, kind of like what, what is the, the, what do we need to apply to this? What do we need mm-hmm. to have the ready language for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if we go back to Alexander's pattern language, you know, he said you have this conflict or uh, like I said, other as you may call it a contradiction. You want this and you also want that, right? They're, they're difficult things. And so then how do you resolve those? And then the answer is a general uh, description. And so, for example, a door in a house is a pattern. Well, what does it resolve? It's got to keep the outside out. It's got to keep the inside in. Well, you could do that with a wall. Uh Aha, but it will let people in and out. Right. Maybe not all of them. It may let an animal in and out. Maybe not all of them. It might let air in, but not bugs, et cetera. Yeah. it's, It's, you know, created differently in different, context so if you go off in the you know the into the middle east and look at you know some nomadic tents you know they have doors but they might just be a fabric or a you know a sheepskin or something to form the door and then of course you have ones that we all know nowadays these big fancy ones where you can hardly tell where do i open this thing right so there's many (laughs) varieties of it right so it's a pattern that's across many many things well, that's brilliant because I love the idea of design science. And I, I, when I first got introduced to the Buckminster Fuller Institute, what really struck me about the changes that were possible was if we stop thinking about things in terms of individual decisions, but we start thinking about design decisions. So I don't know. I think the one time I had encountered you in one of the space camps in a breakout and you started talking about these um, geometries and you're saying, you know, if if, if these two uh, lines are connected at a single point, they're flexible. Mm-hmm. But if you take these uh, these uh, th- 
three-dimensional triangles and you fix them at all the points, then they're not flexible. And that is sometimes where you want stability. And there are other times where you want the flexibility. If you connect them at two points, you have a hinge. Mm -hmm. And so it, it occurred to me that that kind of thinking could be applied sociologically as well. So, you know, obviously, if you have a stadium, the stadium is designed to move the crowd in a certain way. You don't want the crowd just randomly going all over the place because people get trampled and there's chaos. It's dangerous. And so, you know, there's there's things, there's patterns that we use all the time, like, you know, there's there's a curving wall that kind of directs you toward an open area. So everybody wants mm -hmm. to move through that area and get to the open area. And it's just natural for human beings to want to do that because we are we have an animal nature and it's it's predictable and mm -hmm. it's you can design for it. And so I think for, for me, a part of what we're dealing with is with better design, we can exert changes over aggregate human behavior that will amount to something because often individuals do feel disempowered with when it comes to climate choice on an individual basis. But if there's something that's a part of a system that I can gladly use and come be a part of as well. And that system gives me the leverage or the momentum to make a small change in aggregate where it becomes a big change because 100,000 people, 500 million people, 10 million people are doing this. That's when we're going to start to see change and we're going to start to see improvements. And so that thinking excites me. So <laughs> I, I wonder if you can, you know, speak about that, those shapes for a minute, because that just blew my mind. Uh, I think the one moment that really blew my mind was you went through like about four different iterations and you, and then you took this, this shape and you put a line through it and you said, and that's the pollinator. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, so not every person is supposed to be embedded in a group. Some people are moving ideas from group to group to group. And that's important. It's a, it's a function, just like you have the pollinators or just like you have the, the seed that sticks to the back of the, the squirrel and gets carried for miles away. Sometimes that <clears throat> flexibility is needed. Sometimes, you know, exactly, you know, exactly that. So tell me more about, I mean, your work, this is your work. <laughs> uh, well, sure. So, um, we're going to go to a slightly different topic here, uh, but it's very related. And um, so when I started looking into more deeply in the idea of trim tabs, I was contrasting it to Bucky's idea of creating a new model. And yeah. so, you know, creating a new model, obviously he did that a lot. We see that a lot in social innovations, Eleanor Ostrom's commons rules, et cetera. And trim tab then is, well, we have an existing system. We need to nudge it, as you said, right? And where, you know, what would we, what are the most effective ways to nudge something along, basically to influence it, to use, as you suggested, the power of design and thinking, right, for one individual to have a larger effect. But we've bumped into something that's kind of in the middle of those, which is what sometimes I call system coupling. And okay. so you mentioned, uh, some geometric models. And so then, you know, Bucky's was, you know, talked uh, a lot about the tetrahedron as the minimum system, because it's the simplest shape, if you will, that divides the universe into an inside and an outside. So that's the simplest system. And so then if you start to talk about how systems would connect together, 
you, you know, and this is an illustration in synergetics, you can look it up, you can say, well, the simplest way is if it's just sort of at a single point, uh, or this, you know, node to node, and now the parts can move quite freely, and maybe disassociate and come back together. And he said, well, that's kind of more like uh, a gas, you know, if you think of it, it metaphysically, in terms of, you know, what's happening in the physical world, right? So that was the simplest one. And then he said, and the next one is you actually have sort of two points of contact. And so it can go back and forth. And now it's going to, it's, you know, it still can disassociate, but it's more connected together. And he said, this is more like a liquid uh, because it can be flexible and flow around things, but it's going to stay connected to it. And then uh, the last one he said is, well, and then if actually you have three points of contact, actually you've now created sort of a new structure, a new system. And now, right. you know, they're together. So we can think about how this would affect us in our life. Like if we're the tetrahedron, right? Because if you make a model of us sort of metaphysically, we're sort of a closed shape, aren't we? We take certain things in, right? We take in food and water, you know, and sunlight or whatever. And then, you know, certain things uh, come out as well, you know, activity and et cetera. But then metaphysically, we also like right now we're taking in information and at some point, we're going, something's going to happen with that information, right? And we're going to send it back out to somebody else. And so we have those sort of connections. And so we can use that same way of thinking and say, well, okay, so here's a thing where I'm just trying to grab information. Like I'm just reading Wikipedia. It's a one-way transfer. Right. But now you and I are talking and now all of a sudden we have two points of contact, right? And so then uh, there's a two-way transfer. And this to me is sort of the basis of regenerative systems, you know, extractive systems look to me like this, like we're just taking and taking and taking, we never get anything back. And then when we go to two points of contact, then we've, we're giving back. And so then we're not just taking the oil out of the ground, you know, but we're doing something to, and I don't know how we're to make oil extraction regenerative, by the way, but let's talk about agriculture. If we have the extractive view of agriculture, we're just taking, 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 we deplete the soil, we have more and more inputs, you know, we affect the groundwater, it's all bad. With regenerative, we say, well, we're going to plant cover crops and we're going to use, you know, row cropping and do a bunch of other stuff. So we're actually creating soil as we go through it. So this is where, you know, you you mentioned, you know, that sort of discussion. And along the way, we looked at where two things come together. So Bucky also said, you know, uh, for every action, you know, he was quoting what? Was it Newton? Very action. Newton said there's equal and opposite reaction. And Bucky said, well, no, that can't be true because that would mean sort of energy being created or destroyed. And you can think about this as in, I'm arguing with my neighbor about politics, right? <laughs> Neither one of you is going to convince the other probably, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and then, but what happens? He said, well, what happens in all these cases where these two things come together is that something, you know, comes off of it if you will and so then this thing that comes off this third point here can make i'm not doing a very good job showing it but you know in physics they call it the resultant and he called it precession right and so then uh his uh, uh example for precession was well so here you have the sun this is the big sun and here you have earth you know and it's in a stable orbit how does that work well 
there's this force of gravity pulling the earth inside right and if there was just a force of gravity we would be sucked into the sun and then that would be the end of things but then there's also this force where we're flying away right because we're a body in motion and we just want to fly away right when you add those up just like if you look at the vector here and the vector here what you wind up with is the orbit at every point you know what's happening is this inward force and the outward force are balanced such that we have this stable orbit that's right so that was his most famous example and then we'll try and tie this together a little bit um what he said so then he took procession though to a whole nother level uh he said well so if procession is really what's happening when two bodies are connected and the universe has just whole bunches of what he called scenarios right of bodies interconnected and doing things like exactly you know, yeah. me orbiting around bucky but not being so sucked in that i don't have my own life etc et right et <laughs> then he talked about uh the metaphor of the pollinator and that you know when the pollinator comes into the flower right it's going for nectar or it's going for pollen right and what happens though is it picks up some pollen sort of it's not unintentionally. I mean, it's sort of by universal design or evolution or whatever, but it picks yeah. up pollen. And then when it gets to the next flower, it deposits the pollen. And so he said, well, the, the pollinator didn't intend that. That was an action at right angles, both the picking up and also the depositing. But yet that's how we get more flowers, which makes more habitat and food for pollinators. And so therefore it's a fundamental thing. And in many ways, yeah it seemed like that was Bucky's goal is he was going to fly around with his ideas and pollinate heads, right. With ideas yeah. like term tab. Well, what I love about this is this podcast was started because I thought it would be great to have more than five minutes to share out an admission and mm-hmm. to share these ideas. And this, these ideas have really pollinated me. And so you watching may not ever take a Buckminster Fuller Institute space camp course, but now these ideas have pollinated to you as well. Mm -hmm. And they may somehow spark something that even Kurt and I didn't intend in having this conversation. Mm -hmm. But if that's tangentially relevant to you or to the world, because you hear this right now, Mm -hmm. that's the point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's I, that's what I love about this is that you know we can you know get involved in various different ways and we don't have to try and save the world um uh, by ourselves you know we don't have to go join uh greenpeace right now to make a difference sometimes just sharing the right thing or being the right uh, trim tab, it, like you mentioned, the landscape architect, you know, mm-hmm. that's what he does. He's not going to try and, you know, go save the dolphins tomorrow. He's going to try and, you know, influence people's landscaping choices, which is a part of our living systems. And it's a really important part of the climate in aggregate. So there are ways to individually, uniquely make a difference or be influenced in a positive way. And obviously, like our conversation that you probably don't even remember stuck with me in such a way, it applied to me in terms of inspiration to understand that, you know, this pollination of ideas is valuable and Also, that in building the structures that we don't need to always build the most solid state structures, those are important. But sometimes like I don't want to join to a certain group because 
I, my, my purpose or is better served being a part of multiple groups and that's okay. And there's a geometry to that. But when we're building something like a transportation system, we need to build more of that solid, you know, solid, solid foundation. And that's when that solid state, uh, um, design comes into place. And of course, with transportation, you have, you know, you have the movement between the points and, you know, all these things and it's energy, it's exchanging of energy and it's how the energy is interacting in a system. And every time you have an interaction, there is a dynamic, there is a um, geometry to that. Uh, so yeah, I just think it's so fascinating. Can you tell me more about your relationship to Buckminster Fuller's work? Like you are really well studied in Bucky. And when did you get introduced to Bucky? Like his concepts and and did you ever meet Bucky? Like I'd love to know more about that. I think the community would want to know if they haven't heard your story around that. <laughs> uh so I think my first introduction was in the early 70s when an older brother was in college and and uh showed me a copy of the Whole Earth catalog. And uh, Bucky, of course, inspired Stuart Brand to create the Whole Earth Catalog, and was his work was featured towards the front, I think, of all the different editions of it. And it was really inspirational because, you know, back in the 70s was kind of the height of the environmental crisis in the U.S., um, and we're like, oh, man, we're in trouble. You know, technology is, is part of it. And But Bucky's message was, well, if we use you know, things correctly, actually, it's a way out. So it was very inspirational to me uh, yeah. over a long time. And uh, so they did various things with it. I wrote some articles for systems uh, organizations, and then I uh, put some in my teaching when I taught sustainable design. I actually had a, a short course on Bucky that I ran a couple times and tried to make some of those concepts more accessible and right now I'm writing a book uh, on making Bucky's ideas more accessible. It's called Bucky for Designers. Designers being with a small D with his idea that we're all designers, right? We all exactly do things yes. like, you know, the this what looks, you know, very disorganized behind you is actually fairly well designed storage of materials, you know, for the, what the work I do, for example. And we all do that, arranging our houses or setting up parties or things like that. So the idea is take these bigger concepts, like we're starting with comprehensive anticipatory design science, you know, what does that mean? So the first chapter on comprehensive is, you know, how do we take his comprehensive view and how do we use it and taking simple examples and then suggesting how people could also use it. As you were saying earlier, you know, design is a really powerful way to affect things. Right. And so then both the little D designers and the big D designers will hopefully get some idea of how to, you know, improve their process with insights. We are all designers. I love that. I first heard Stephen Bow say that to me, and I know it's not original to him, but Mm -hmm. This idea that like, even like where I put my breakfast in the morning, mm -hmm. in, in terms of time, in mm -hmm. my schedule, it's design. The, mm -hmm. You know, you put first things first, certain things create the condition for other things, certain things prime your state for something. And I've been a very, very big thinker, like advocate in my own brain and my own life about that for myself is like, be intentional about the conditions you want to create. And therefore you will 
um, create momentum. And mm -hmm. like a perfect example is today, we're not taping in my studio. And so there was a lack of inner momentum that happened because <laughs> suddenly I have to invent this whole new routine of getting into the state that I do when I do these recordings. And that affects, you know, that affects some things. And, uh, you know, it's not that it's not that things can't be changed, but there's an inertia to change because when we're using an existing system, we're able to utilize its momentum. So for example, it's hard to change off of fossil fuels in just in terms of cars, because we already have the networks of delivery for the fuel. And yes. so we know it, when we get in our car, we know that we'll find a fueling station wherever we need one. And we don't have to worry about running out of gas that creates inertia to adopting a new system. And so for me, I've always thought like, okay, what are we getting out of the existing system? That's beneficial. Like you said, Bucky said, don't you look at the technology as, you know, necessarily the problem, look at it as the solution. And so I think within these design systems, I think, okay, so if I'm designing a new form of transportation, I have to acknowledge what we're getting out of the existing one um, that works for us. Like the idea that I can get in my car, if I just suddenly decided to, if I had the means, I could get in my car and drive to the East Coast. And there's nothing stopping me from doing that. There's a certain um, magic to that. Like, you know, there's mm -hmm. going to be fueling stations all the way around. And, mm -hmm. and so if, if you're going to ask people to give that up, it's going to be a hard sell. And so we need to ask, I mean, there are things that we do need to give up. And I'm not saying, you know, my meta point is not about not giving up fossil fuels. My point is to acknowledge that part of what is beautiful about our current scenario with transportation is that there's a sense of, you know, spontaneity that can occur. And that's going to be something that we need to acknowledge that people are getting from the system. When we're designing our new system, how do we create that sense of uh, rapid movement that uh, is so cherished and prized. And if we can't, how do we make something better? How do we make something that's such a, wow, I didn't even think of that. This is like, now I don't have to even get in a car. You know, now there's something completely different that, or, or we've solved some fundamental problem that that old thing was solving that now it's just quaint. Um, you know, I mean, we really do. We need to look at what are all the movement points in the system because people are people are utilizing the energy of that system. If I wanted to get rid of my car tomorrow, I would not get to work. And that's the majority for most people. And that is one of the reasons why it's impossible to, at the individual level, sometimes create these changes because you know, there's just, there's just a, I can't, you know, I, I can't walk to the grocery store and I can't, it's too far and I can't walk back with enough groceries to last the week. It's impossible because our system is, we're so reliant on that system. So there's an inherent energy in the systems. There's an inherent uh, the benefits that can be acknowledged and utilized and re-engineered in a way so that when we're thinking about replacing something that we're actually placing replacing it with something that's appealing we're replacing it with something that people want and i feel like that was where you know the designing the old designing the new system that makes the old system obsolete that inspired me mm -hmm. so much because suddenly now you're not trying to do this political dance of like you said like pushing put the two the two sticks pushing each other and it's resulting in this like artifact of uh mm -hmm. you know this 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 you know tangential like arrows flying out and hitting people 
<laughs> you know, like I think that's what's happening is, is we're button heads. You know, there's all these sparks flying and the sparks are getting in people's eyes and they're like, ah, <laughs> you know, stop. Like, ah, just, I don't want to. And then they tune out. Then they don't want to hear it. You know, it's just mm -hmm. noise. I don't want to hear about the climate. I don't right. want to hear about this. I don't want to hear about that. It's just, it becomes politics and it's, it's just white noise. And they, they tune out and they put on, you know, the people magazine show, <laughs> the gossip shows, you know, because I just need to, you know, at that point, I just need to, to anesthetize. Mm. And, and I think that's, you know, that's where, um, the jujitsu of this is, you know, to use the, the forces in a way that's, that's adding, it's redirecting the momentum. It's re reusing the energy in a, in a much more thoughtful way as you know, if it were so. Well, there's a lot of stuff there. Let me, I'm going to back up a little bit uh, and thank you for that comprehensive <laughs> uh, comments. <laughs> and so just for the people wanting to dive deeper uh, into this whole idea of, you know, everyone designs the small D there's actually books and websites on it now. Uh, but I think Herbert Simon and science is the artificial was where I first saw it. And uh he uh was I think the only non-economist to ever win to ever win the Nobel Prize in economics for his idea of satisficing. And satisficing means we humans make decisions that don't make rational sense, right? <laughs> like you were talking about yes. cars and you know getting gas. And there are many times when you don't drive three miles out of your way to save 10 cents a gallon on gas. Right. You don't because there's a whole bunch of other factors and it makes more sense to do whatever. Well, rational economics would say, well, of course, you know, you're always going to make that rational decision. But he demonstrated, you know, to the uh, satisfaction of the Nobel Committee, the satisfying was really a big deal. And that then started a whole bunch of things like behavioral economics, which I'll get to in a second. So Herbert Simon, Science of the Artificial, was fairly readable, fairly thin. It's a little academic. And then next one was John Thackera and In the Bubble. And that's just still a wonderful book about sustainability. And what he means by In the Bubble is we're in this bubble that you just described, right? Which is we're just moving really fast and things are flying past us. And we hardly have time to think about it because, right, we are hardly have time to do this and take care of family and go to work and pay attention to the issues and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So those are good things. John Thackeray's In the Bubble. And then, uh, so what that got us into is another thing you talked about, which is design and its ability to influence behavior, you know, by how we, you know, you were saying how we put the walls together in a stadium to help people find a way out or whatever. And so then, you know, these, they call them nudges now, right? Nudges, you know, came out yeah. of behavioral economics or sometimes now it's called irrational economics, Right. And there's a lot of good readable books on that as well. But an like example predict is, predictably irrational. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep, predictably irrational. And so there's a lot of things like just automatically signing you up, you know, for payroll savings for retirement or automatically registering you for votes, you know, or then just making little suggestions to make it easier. So this then ties into another thing that I think is a, an example of trim tab is this idea of tiny habits or atomic habits. And so if we want to make a bigger change. And you talked about breakfast, you know, people might say, I really want to start journaling in the morning, like everybody says, but it's just too much. I don't have any kind of time for that. Yada, yada. So what I've learned is it's okay. Instead of writing three pages, as some people say, write three sentences. 
and you prepare yourself, yeah. well, you put the pad of paper and the pencil right by your coffee cup. So when you sit down to have the coffee, then you write the three sentences. And then there's over your time, nudge. Yep. Then yep. over time becomes other things. And then the other example, I think this is from Atomic Habits is, so you want to run, become a runner. Well, don't just, you know, buy a pair of shoes and dash out and try and go as far as you can, because no, it's a bad way to start. You know, so buy some shoes and the first week you just put them on, you just get used to putting them on. And the second week you put them on, you walk around the block, etc. So you work your way up, right, to gradually you work your way into this whole new thing. So these are all, I think, examples of trim tabbing yourself. And so right. when we look at the level of trim tab, we've can trim our, trim ourselves just the way we do things in our, you know, in our actions, the things we consume and we provide, et cetera, we can look at the level of the household, right? And then we can go up to the next or the next or the next. And you had a great example of, you know, the transitions in transportation. And, uh, you know, at one point I solved this by being in a South Minneapolis community where I could bike year round if I chose to, I had studded tires, or if it was too bad, I could take a bus. Or if I wanted to, I could bike to the train and take the train. And I could stop at the co-op. And basically, I didn't have to have a car. Of course, now I've moved out to the country where everything requires a car. But the trips are less frequent. And there is, you know, so that's a, there is some equations to balance there, right? Uh, but in the big picture, I recommend the Future Crunch newsletter. And uh, there's a free edition, I think, and you can also, I think, give them almost any kind of money and get the the members only one. Very encouraging. They're always looking for, well, how fast is the transition happening, right? And it turns out for all these things, it's way faster than we believe because they're looking for all the leading edge reports on it. I do think you can drive across the country now uh, with electric car. However, you only have certain routes, right? And uh, I think it may be only Tesla stuff, you know, so it's on the yeah. way. And it's one of these things where uh, I think you suggest this as well. You know, it's we start with this little thing here and then we do the next little thing and the next little thing. It's like people would say, well, I can't possibly, you know, uh, ride share to work because X, Y and Z. Well, could you ride share one day a week or could you stay home one day a week? If you could, you've now reduced your impact by 20 percent. That is huge. Reducing yeah. your impact by 20 percent companies who get a three or four percent you know, increase and in whatever, they're like, oh, this is really good, right? And I guess one more thing in that area, which is uh, this stuff compounds, right? Like it's tiny habits, atomic habits. If you make a 1% change this month to make things better, which isn't much, right? And then next, and you keep that, but next month you do another 1%, et cetera. It adds up pretty quickly to almost doubling your effectivity. And then the last thing I'll say, I'll try anyway, <laughs> is... Uh, uh, you also talked about systems transition. And so that's the thing uh, that there's a lot of good stuff on now, but basically one way that people view it is that, um, so all systems uh, go through what's called an S-curve, where at the beginning, it's you put a lot of effort in to get very little out of it. So that just think yeah. about the very first cars, right? A lot of effort, very little. And then all of a sudden, they figured out a few things about cars, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, little more investment and all of a sudden you get all this effectiveness in terms of your ability to travel quickly and quote unquote cheaply, right? Because right. they had the fuel costs. But at a certain point, then all the externalities start running up and you're like, oh, this kind of sucks. I'm in LA now. I really don't want to drive anywhere. <laughs> it's really bad, right? Yeah. So, so what happens is in a technological sense, what happens is at some point there's all the people looking at this system 
and the people who were entrepreneurs and looking for the places to change and they come up with a new idea and then what happens is well this s curve is happening a new one is taking off and so that's another way to look at it is what are those little seeds today that are going to create the new system and this now we're getting into buggy's idea of anticipatory from comprehensive anticipatory yeah. design science right but one last thing on this is Brilliant. that uh the other thing that people say is well if you view that, okay, here's the S-curve of transportation, which we need to get, we're going to phase that one out somehow. Well, what it turns out is we can sort of flip that the other way around, which is we're on this S-curve of really high transportation. We need to transition it down, right? Mm, so then we want to look yeah. for the trim tabs to transition us down off the old system while simultaneously saying, well, how do we incrementally enhance the new system like electric transportation? And you already mentioned- right some things about that of course and now it turns out i think coming this year it's cheaper to buy an electric car uh than it is to buy an internal combustion car you know over the life of the vehicle now with american made you know chevy and fords uh with the rebates and stuff they're like around twenty thousand, less than twenty thousand. and of course fuel costs are just a fraction maintenance costs are just a fraction yeah so now for the there's first less year, moving parts you exactly. don't have to replace belts. You don't have to change oil. Exactly. You don't have, yeah. So this is the first year, if you want to get a new car, you actually save money going electric. Wow. Right? And yeah. many, many people like the neighbors, they're out in the country and they go everywhere with all electric stuff, but they just, they had to invest a few thousand dollars in a charging station. <laughs> so, you know, but that's another thing we could trim tab, couldn't we? So yeah, big yes. problems, big issues. But if we take them apart, as you're suggesting and think about transitions, smaller uh, actions will help us along. That was actually what I was going to ask you about was we talked about the individual level. What is the macro level as you see it? Like in terms of trim tabbing these big systems that really do need to change mm -hmm. and obviously massive amounts of inertia having to do with giant economic apparatuses that are happening. Like what, you know, also mm -hmm. existing infrastructure uh, and challenges of, you know, economics with, you know, countries don't invest when the economies are down what you know what do you see as the macro in terms of trim tabbing these systems change well it's very widespread so i know somebody from mcad that took i think a year off of teaching to make better graphics for ipcc right international panel on climate change or whatever it is and i was like wow that's what a commitment and i was like i was like well but you know Jeez, you know, a better diagram. What's the deal, right? And but then she explained it to me that you go to these meetings and you have 190 nations, and the majority of them are there with representatives says we need to do something here. We need to fix this. We need to make it better. Of course, you do have a couple nations that are just like, oh no, we don't want to do that because we're still making money on fossil fuel. But it's really it's a couple of big nations, you know, unfortunately. <laughs> but the majority of the people are like, we want to do a better job. And so then if you make the better graphics, then they understand it better. It's a more compelling argument. Um, and so then that helps them make changes. And so, you know, the net effect is at this point, uh, if you, I just heard this from a, a webinar from uh, somebody presenting at NASA, if you do an, an on, anonymous poll of uh, the climate scientists in the IPCC about where we'll end up, they are saying 2.6 degrees C. Well, that's terrible, 
right? But that's not for, that's not the end of the world that we were talking about, right? That's, you know, life is gone, you know, humans are gone. I mean, it's terrible, but it's manageable. And now Future Crunch is reporting from Reuters, which Reuters is a pretty good responsible stuff. They're saying, well, these things that are happening already are going to probably get to keep us to two degrees C. So at one, at the macro macro level, there is stuff happening that really is encouraging, even though it just seems glacially slow. And, you know, most of us are still really, you know, even at two, many, many things, you know, are so different. It's, it's, it's almost too sad to contemplate. Okay, so there's that one. So that's a trim tabish, right, at that level of just making better diagrams, right, to help people make better arguments to make these small incremental changes, you know, at that pace. And then you have another one, uh, which is, well, we have accountable institutions like our churches and like our colleges, and they're investing in fossil fuels. And we can, we can, you know, we can take that money away from them. And so what happened there is they said, well, we can trim tab the institutions because they're responsive to the to us, right? Because they have a mission to do the right thing ethically, if you will, it is. So there's another one that's happening. And then um another sort of way to think about it is okay, and this really really ask is well, what about me? What can I do with these bigger things? And so one of the things that came up in this idea of thinking trim tabs is, oh, my gosh, the fossil fuel industry is a huge Queen Mary. And it's like, well, no, it's not. It's a whole bunch of big companies. I mean, not a whole bunch, but let's just say right. 10 or a dozen. Right. So automatically, all of a sudden, you've got 10 or a dozen ships. Right. And then so, OK. And then are they just is that piloted or you know, driven by just one person with one set of, you know, whatever factors? Well, no, because every corporation has a whole bunch of people in it reporting on all kinds of things, right? And so then, you know, there there are people in different companies saying, uh, hey, you know, looking at the future, you know, 10, 20 years out, if we keep just jamming this thing, we're going to use this up to where it gets really more expensive and we should be thinking something else. So we already have the you know, the mid-level or the high-level companies with at least some of this discussion taking place. Um, I was just reading about Amazon a number of years ago, decided that they were going to go carbon neutral and they're actually ahead, right? And we use, we don't all love Amazon. I mean, we did, but now we're not sure because of labor yeah. practices, but you know, that's a pretty big company for doing a pretty big thing. Walmart actually did uh, pretty big stuff and all that was sort of driven by people inside of it. Okay, so just back up a little bit. Yeah. So we can sort of start taking it apart to say, well, it's not just one huge ship. It's these other ships. Oh, and the ships have various components, right? Like different people to talk to the person setting the course. And then, oh, and then they actually have, you know, that company distributes to all these places. Then they're distributed geographically. So then we can start to affect things like pipelines, right? And then we get all the way down to where you were at, which is the individual actions and choices and things like that. So it's a big, messy thing. And so what I recommend is, and so I did a little of this regenerative agriculture. So we had another space camp in regenerative ag. It's like, well, just yeah. do it, right? Let's just do it. Well, the, the deal is we're not a big ag uh, corporation. We're not farmers, right? We can <laughs> no. vote with our checkbooks, you know, but you yeah. know, how, how, how are we effective? I think we need to make kind of a model or a map. And they call these sometimes influence diagrams or sometimes concept maps and so i did this and i just said well what if i think about my household 
And if sort of my normal thing is sort of transactional, I go to the grocery store, I buy whatever they got, right? Yeah. But then there's another option down here, which is I go to a farmer's market. Well, right. then what would cause me to be aware of the farmer's market? What would cause me to want to go to the farmer's market? Because it's another trip. And I don't always, you know, you don't always get exactly what you want. You probably get something different and you might get more, but, you know. And then, well, what affects that? Well, knowledge of it and neighbors and family. And so you start to see that there's a whole bunch of influences and that to change the behavior, you know, and then once again, it's not all overnight, right? If you were just to introduce one new thing a month in a family, that'd be a pretty big deal, right? You know? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, you have to model it. You have to choose your level of scale. I think choosing where you're comfortable working as well, like choosing something where you don't know much of anything about it or you're not really connected to it. I think you're much more effective when you're connected to people. If at one point I had this diagram where I said, well, what if I'm trying to trim tab somebody, it's really kind of like being on one end of a teeter totter. Right. Well, I said, well, that pivot has to be closer to the person, which means what I have, what I say has to be very meaningful to them. It can't be me like saying to the farmer, oh, you got to do this because of X, Y, Z. But if the farmer hears things about improving soil health, reducing costs, you know, and actually some of the big egg uh, naturally companies. abating pests, which reduces your need for inputs, exactly, which yeah. are expensive and toxic. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, so it's there's, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunities. And I think, you know, one of the things is just, and I found this out from a writing, uh, webinar is you should have your own executive meeting hmm. you know like bucky obviously would right for his company one your factory of one right uh just set aside some time and she suggested actually it could be an hour or two if you're more of an independent but it should be maybe a half hour and just review what you're up to and what you want to do and in some cases it may be well the most effective thing for me is to join with somebody else or do research or no, I just need to invest in this one or whatever, but just to regularly review our activities and our actions and then make our own adjustments to be most effective. And you know, remember that good stuff is happening. I think the main thing is just to know that we are going to get through this and uh, that we can make it better by what we do. So with the example of the oil companies as giant ships, mm-hmm. It seems like it's wise to look at the geometry of the actual geometry of those organizations. So instead of saying, you know, the oil industry is this one thing, it's Mm -hmm. actually multiple things within a thing. And there are certain influences and certain, um, like you said, like the solid state of all three points together that are sort of like fixed in that industry that aren't going to move like you know a bunch of idealistic people could even come inside and say oh you know we want to make changes and whatever but there's still a tensegrity to the three-pointed connection that is creating a solid shape and eventually when things change there's crisis um there's prices are rising or you know there's other external factors that break apart those three points. And now you have two, you have a little more more flexibility. Mm -hmm. And those are the opportunities to exert leverage, just like with the garden and uh, changing the grass because Mm -hmm. it's dying. Uh, You know, it's the, and so like to acknowledge, okay, we actually have 12 different ships and they're giant ships and they're really hard to move and we can't swim up to them and put a trim tab on the rubber or the rudder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also these ships are sort of like, you know, they have a pattern, you know, they're, they're these ships are traversing the ocean in a current, you know, in a, mm-hmm. in a 
place where they go. And as we know, like anytime, you know, even in thoughts, like anytime there's a path that's worn over and over and over again, that becomes the road. You know, mm-hmm. if you walk down a, a side trail, you'll see places where people have walked and there's nothing growing there. And that's the little road or the little trail that's mm-hmm. been tracked. And those tracks that are worn, those tend to be the places that get traveled. And so to blaze the new trail, it's it's not so simple. So you you have all these ships and they're, they're tra- traversing the ocean in this way. And then all of a sudden, you know, some major thing changes the uh, the landscape or the the paths. Like suddenly now a new corridor opens up uh, because the ice is melted or because, you know, of wild storms. Now they can't take the routes that they were doing. And again, there's one of those, you know, kind of change points where now suddenly there's this opening for something new to happen. And the question is really what is that new thing and how is there going to be exerted influence on that new uh, thing. So like you said, the messaging and what's getting out there and how people, what people want in aggregate, aggregate and, and where people are moving toward, there's sort of a, uh, an energy towards, you know, that open space, you know, we talked about in the concert venue, you know, something's moving and the natural way of things is for, you know, the high pressure system to move to the low pressure system. So, you know, mm-hmm. can we start to look at when we're trying to look at large systems, changes can we be honest about what are these systems within the system so it's like each ship has its own crew its own command structure its own supply lines its own food its own energy and a hundred people that are working on it and those people have lifestyles that have to you know that this, this month of the year they traveled and they're home for these two months there's all these different systems inside of these systems and so we mm-hmm. can't you know, we can't ignore that. And it's helpful to see, you know, how things really are. I think that's what you're talking about when you're saying like map the systems. And at that point, you can sort of get unemotional about it. And you can just look at it like, well, the earth is going around the sun because, you know, it's escape trajectory as, you know, it's, it's escape velocity isn't higher. Otherwise it's mm-hmm. spin off out of the solar system. And, you know, there are just certain things that are in place because they are and because that's where the energy is is flowing. And so, you know, to think on a larger global level from a depersonalized standpoint of go, well, this is just the geometry of things right now. And the current mm-hmm. setup, you know, this, things are running around, you know, back and forth each day. And that creates its own centrifugal force. Yeah, that creates its own uh, gravity, as you will. And uh, maybe that's, I don't know, a helpful metaphor. I don't know what you would say to that, but uh, it just occurs to me like that that's really important to think about. Yeah, it is. That was a great summary. Really, really good. Um, of kind of where we're at and, you know, deciding. And, you know, you were also really, I think, talking about what we brought up earlier, which is, oh, well, <clears throat> we want to do better, right? And design is very powerful. And of course, one of the things, one of Bucky's strategies was, well, I'm going to design ahead, right? I'm not yeah. going to try and fix all the problems today. I'm going to design for, you know, decades out in his case. Well, we don't have quite that many decades, but we can start to think about designing a few years out, right? Which is, well, what do we do today that in five years, this could look really different. I mean, that's another thing that would give us a big advantage. And then we can think as we started with this, right? And the theme of this really is trim tapping, nudging things. 
And then we can also think about designing for the systems coupling or procession, like how to set up these interactions like space camps, really, where people are interacting with each other and gaining knowledge and forming new things and forming new organizations. If we think about, uh, I talked about regenerative ag and the household, you know, if the household decides to go to the farmer's market and starts going to the farmer's market and somebody delivers there is a community, community supported agriculture farmer, right? They might learn about that and they could even join that, right? And all of a sudden they're spending time in the country and their kids are out there in the country and and then they might join up with other members of the farm. And all of a sudden there's this third thing that Bucky took, talked about, which is this sort of new model, creating a new model. And to your point, that's exactly geometry, right? We've got a new configuration of connections. We're moving away from that strictly transactional one to one that has more of the human aspect of it. This is, I think, where the social innovations, which, of course, is a huge, huge thing we didn't really get into today. Um, you know, there's now bunches of places just working on it, degrees in it, all kinds of stuff happening. A lot of it's overseas, which is great. Um, so, yeah, the the systems view, right, that it's not just as one big you know, really locked in place thing, but it's a lot of things and they are in motion. There is the ability to change uh, is very, very key to it. And then, you know, these kinds of change, right? This nudging in the flow, right? Trim tabbing or figuring out all the ways they could connect or even creating this new network, this alternative, which, you know, Tesla's doing, you know, we may love or hate him for all those other actions, but good Lord, Right. He's got the cars, he's got the network, he's building these huge, huge things all the time in batteries, he's pushing the whole thing along. Uh, so the new model is being created. Um, and Bucky did the same thing. Edison did the same thing. It turns out when you look back at what they did. So, so yeah, it's great, great summary there, Stephen. I know we're almost out of time. And I think one of the biggest things that I've identified with about Bucky is that he was apolitical. He literally mm -hmm. said politics will not accomplish anything. Right. <laughs> and, and it's actually creates stagnation. It creates like this countervailing force where the two things are just pushing in equal amounts and, you know, maybe getting this way, but then they just get this way. It just goes back and forth and it creates a lot of waste. It creates a lot of chaos, a lot of, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> inflexible thinking um so but you know we're dealing with climate change which is a politicized issue and it's also mm -hmm. a, a place where things aren't getting done because people want to bury their head in the sand so you know can you speak to that that notion of like i feel like design is sort of the antidote for that if we can agree on what we'd like to see mm -hmm. you know we'd all like cheaper energy we'd all like you know cleaner air and those kind of things and then create solutions that mm -hmm. that can move toward that in a way that like acknowledges what's better um can you speak to that briefly i'm just because i i feel like it's an important little tangent to to go on because that was ultimately what really sold me on bucky was this idea of mm -hmm. replacing you don't fight the existing system mm -hmm. you make it obsolete you know, use your energy in a better way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, this, you know, sometimes Bucky's critiqued for this, right? And, uh, you know, oh my gosh, we have to have this stuff, right? And if you look at things like this IPCC and all this, you know, scientists that are getting together in a form in the country is, you know, like I said, there, you know, believe it or not, there's been a lot of progress, a lot of sensible stuff is happening. And but guess what? They're dealing with the science of it, right? 
they're you know they're struggling with the politics of getting a particular nation to do it but as the science gets more and more solid and better communicated it's easier for them to do it so the idea of people working together and to make decisions like the ipcc this is clearly something bucky would support right he was at this caricature of you know the left and the right just battling over something and they're each controlled by special interests yes that's you know i mean it, it's necessary Otherwise, we wouldn't get the improvements we have in human rights, for example. And Future Crunch is very good, by the way, at documenting the amazing progress we've done about it. And actually, I think uh, they linked an article from Vox, a recent thing, you know, on the doomers, you know, aren't necessarily telling the whole story. We need to have a more positive thing. Yeah, but then I agree with that. To, to your point, though, um, what, what what did Bucky really do? Well, once again, power the individual. And then if you looked at this design science decade, he went back and looked at what was happening. He basically got teams at different universities working in parallel, got them all inspired, all doing stuff and communicating to each other. So, and he was incredibly effective at doing that, wasn't he? At going out and communicating with people, doing hands-on work with designs, getting teams to put things together. And of course, the Institute has done a lot in the past with that as well. So, that and he always said, you know, that's going to be more effective in the long term than trying to negotiate something, right, to save the world. And I, I think he's right, but I do think we need to have, you know, sort of be able to view both things as really necessary. Sort of the evidence based, the scientific based, you know, people getting to their side is absolutely necessary. You know, and the arguments, you know, that allow us to give everybody human rights absolutely necessary. But then we do need the design, and a lot of that is, you know, really the intent with the book is. So everybody feels they really sense more their power to make good design decisions, to communicate them and to improve the world in that way. Where would Bucky focus his trim tab if he were alive today? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, he it's it's been discussed in the trim tab book group you know which we still run twice a month and you can get a hold of me if you want to be added to the list um that he would have liked certain aspects of sort of the media because he really did like getting his ideas out there and um he always worked i mean he worked most effectively with younger people right so he would right. be deeply embedded uh he would be doing the kind of things that i talked about before uh things that makes design for extreme affordability, I think, is out of Stanford. Social innovation, it's really widespread. Uh, all these kind of things, refugee housing, right? Making the domes. And of course, now, you know, glamping domes, you know, yeah. camping domes. It's, you know, a huge, huge thing. He'd be very involved in just sort of, quote unquote, fixing that problem, if you will. Uh, there's now much more work on just, you know, dome kits, assembling your own dome, putting it everywhere. Of course, that was always his dream. So housing affordability. I'm, yeah. Yeah. Big one. Yeah. Looking on new stuff. I mean, who knows uh, at Apple White, who was the one who put together synergetics with him? He said that when Bucky designed an artifact like a dome, it was just a really illustrative principle to you. It wasn't to say, well, this is the be all and end all. It's just like, right. this is the kind of thing you can do. And if you learn about this, then, you know, the design sense revolution, you guys are going to have so many better ideas, you're going to transform the world. And in many ways, that's happened, right? Open source software and wikis and, you know, more yeah. communications and stuff. You know, we're not there yet, but I think the signs are encouraging. Amazing. 
Well, Kurt McNamara, thanks for being my guest today on the Spaceship Earth Mission Log podcast. I'm Stephen Levitt. I'm also the host of the Language of Creativity podcast. You can look it up at thelanguageofcreativity.com. Kurt, where can people find you and your work and engage with uh, your vast library of things and also find your book? Uh, So... Uh, I have some videos and various things on systemeducation.com and the book's very much in process. Uh, You might be aware of the 52 Living Ideas meetup and they're doing something on Bucky every Sunday night uh, as well as I think once a month on Wednesday night, they're doing his big ideas, but every Sunday night they're doing something. And so I've done a one session on the book on 52 Living Ideas. I'm going to do another session a month uh, for the next three and just see what happens with it. And then we'll just make it available as it gets, you know, to be in shape. So systemeducation.com, or they can email me at Kurt McN, like my name, C-U-R-T-M-C-N, Mary Cat Nancy, uh, at gmail.com. Fantastic. Thank you for joining us on the Spaceship Earth Mission Log. You can subscribe. You can join the Substack if you want to get emailed when there are new episodes. We're also on YouTube. and. Uh, Kurt McNamara, it was an honor. Thank you for being my guest today. Everybody, be a trim tab. Find your unique trim tab. There you go.